welcome to this, the Unraveling Technology Podcast on the 1st of July, 2021. It's been a while. It's me, Joe Tonks, joined, as ever, by David Johnson and Adam Willerton with our special guest, Neil Birchnell here. How are we all doing? Uh, good, thank you. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, not bad. Um, I've, I feel like your job's become a lot easier, Adam, now that you don't have to spend the first 20 minutes of every podcast sitting, playing with all the dials on the mixer, trying to get it so that my voice doesn't drown everybody else's voice out. Yeah. So, on account um, of all the teamsness going on. Yeah, well, the implication of that is that my job's now redundant, so <laughs> maybe I'm going to have to find something else to do. Adam, it takes a lot of work to set up a Teams call and click the record <laughs> button. Don't don't undersell yourself. I think you're kind yeah. of building. Yeah, this is a nice uh, kind of segue into the into the main topic of the uh, of the podcast, isn't it? Kind of just how easy it is to set up a, a Teams call. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so all that said, I know it's been a while. Um, probably getting on about 18 months. Um, A lot's happened in that time, and really we're coming back with kind of a a special uh, to begin with. Uh, Over the past few months, we've had a lot of people working from home. And as a result of that, the way that we've been working has shifted quite a lot in many aspects. And at Ask4, we've put together a, what are we calling it, Adam? Report? Report, yeah, research report. Research report on working from home and the uh, consequences, or not the consequences, the, uh, what's the word? The you opportunity. Yeah, opportunities, <laughs> there you go. So that's the, the sales person talking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for the future of working uh, beyond the office, uh, beyond the pandemic. So, Adam, do you want to give us a, a brief rundown of this? I, I knew that when you posted this in our Slack channel, uh, the other day, I could feel the smugness emanating off you about it. So tell us about this <laughs> this report. Well, this has been about two two months of my working life has gone into this. So I was very smug to be able to present a finished product. Uh, so, yeah, we worked with a, a research company called Redbrick Research that we've produced a lot of our other reports with um, to kind of gather sort of statistics and existing research on home working and various different aspects of it, including uh, communication aspects of it, productivity, security, uh, comfort, um, just to find out how people's attitudes have changed over the last year of working from home and uh, what have been the, the main issues and the the main preferences for doing that. Uh, so we've collated all the research and come up with our own conclusion as to um, what the benefits are and what the um, hindrances are um, and how we see the office operating in the future um, based on what we've learned from the last year. Mm. So you've broken that down into a few different categories, which you kind of uh, outline in the key takeaway section towards the end of the document. So as the thing you proposed yesterday, it would probably be a good idea if we went through those and talked about each of them in turn, about uh, what the what the report has to say about them and relate our own experiences to it. So the first one, and I think the thing that comes up with a lot, uh, that comes up most predominantly when you talk about working from home is kind of the impact on communication and the social aspect. So, of course, you go from seeing people 
face to face every day to having to battle with various different tools to varying levels of success uh, to try and replicate that office experience or or maybe not you know maybe maybe rather than going for the com- the communal social aspect of work maybe it's allowed you to drill down spend more time doing uh, or more time engaging with the things that you find productive and useful and maybe it's been a boon for some people so well, let's let's put it to the floor how's everyone found the last 18 months uh, when you haven't haven't been in the office and you've been the only time you've really seen people is in smaller groups or over video calls i think for me um my experience has reflected the sort of comments that we've got on the report where i feel like i've got a lot closer and still maintain quite good relationships with people in my core team but then in the wider company that you know, you just don't see people as often. Um, so a lot of those relationships, they've been kind of, you know, we've we've had over the past you know year and a half, we've had people start working for the company that I've, you know, never or maybe once met face to face and have no real reason to talk to them. So, you know, I've probably, yeah, there's people working for our company that, and we're normally quite a smallish close-knit company where we do see each other quite regularly but yeah there's people i've talked to three times and seen in person once and they've been working for us for a year so it's uh it's definitely a change but yeah i feel within our core team i think we've kind of you know really sort of drawn together and we've kind of we we've started doing these um you know, regular meetings every week, which we'd kind of started before the pandemic. But, you know, you've got so you can get a team's call together. You can see each other face to face. You can all talk through what's going on and so on. And that works quite well. Um, I think for me, the the big thing about video calls and those kind of meetings is it's sort of how effective they are is inversely proportional to how many people they are in them. Mm. So yeah it's we i i personally still find it easy to you know keep in touch with the four or five people in our core team but if you start saying right well let's have a whole office teams meeting then it's just you nobody can talk nobody can say anything you can't go and chat to anyone individually it's just it's a very difficult thing to engage with yeah yeah i think maybe uh, for me the the only real uh large meeting that i I'm in every week is or every few weeks is the one with you, Neil, within our team. Um, and I think that works quite well because it's quite structured. Like we, we have an agenda sent out beforehand. We have someone chairing the meeting. Um, and I feel like those structured meetings do work quite well. And then there's obviously functionality in things like Teams to raise your hand. So if you have something you want to say, it can alert everyone that you want to speak without having to talk over each other. Um, so for me, I... I sort of find find that not too bad, but I can imagine if if the meetings are less structured, it could get get a bit chaotic. Yeah, yeah we, we, I'm sorry, I like this. Just when there are different times when when you're trying to collaborate with people, then it's quite different than when it's a one to many type of a, a setup. So when you if you have one person who's trying to, you know, convey information to a large group of people, then it can be 
quite positive. It can be quite a good opportunity and it can be quite um, kind of equalizing, quite leveling. I, I listened to a podcast sort of been, you know, a year ago when we were kind of only a, a few months into all of this. And it was a university professor who'd moved all of his, I think it was, it was in, it was in America. It was like Yale or something like that. And he was talking about how, how positive it had been when he moved all of his lectures online because of the, the pandemic and everyone, you no longer had the, the quiet one at the back. You no longer had the keen ones at the front. Everyone was equal. Everyone was the same size. Everyone was on the same screen. And he had students that he'd known for you know years that were, sorry, he, that he, he had been teaching for years but that he didn't know were now putting their hand up and they were engaging in ways that they never felt comfortable to do when they were in a, in a lecture theater at Yale with 200 other, 200 other students. But now all of a sudden they felt comfortable and he found it quite interesting and that it was going to be something that he didn't want to lose that going forward. So I think for different personality types, it can be quite helpful in that type of a setting. But for other people, if they really feed off of that kind of, you know, being in the same environment as someone and that kind of face to face energy, then that can be something that could really they could really struggle with. So I, th I think, again, which is going to be the, the theme of a lot of this, I think going forward, it'll need to be a mix. Mm -hmm. I think where we, um, I'm, I'm in kind of a unique position. I, to be honest, I think us as Ask4, it was, it was a very strange time around last April, May anyway, because we were moving offices and then all of the, the COVID hit. So it was you know there was already already a lot going on i think there's there's a few people who still haven't really seen our new workspace um and i about the about this time that covid hit i of course i was I, my daughter was born so it's been a different experience for me because and a positive experience because i've been at home uh, with my daughter most days so granted I've been working but I've never been more than a couple of rooms away which was very helpful especially for my wife as well um, when you couldn't go out and you couldn't go to say baby groups all that stuff was on hold so being being able to be around uh, that was great um, but uh, yeah going to the office recently I spoke to a couple of people there and it's funny in my head I'd really got it into the really got the idea that this was everybody's way of thinking and that oh, there's myriad benefits to working from home and just communicating using teams and actually you can get get quite a lot done but the people i spoke to a couple of them said you know if i'm not in three at least three days a week i go a bit bit stir crazy i need to see people and i suppose that's different personality types but it's kind of surprising what you said about people in a lecture of 200 suddenly being, coming to the fore and being able to offer their opinion because I would have thought in a social situation in a big room with lots of people, I don't really see how a virtual meeting is much different from that apart from you've got this additional abstracted layer of kind of cobbled together technology over the top that, I don't know, just makes things a little bit more awkward. I think it's the fact that you're in your own safe space and you don't have to put your hand up. You don't know who else has put their hand up and you just have to click a button to, you know, to put your hand up to say that you want to ask a question or you have have something to feed back. So it's just, um, you know, it is, it's just different, 
different people and different find different things comfortable. I think yeah. as well, you lose a lot of the non-verbal communication with with teams. You know, people people can sense from other people's body language who wants to talk next, or you know, if if they you know you can convey whether you agree or disagree without saying things in a in a meeting. You know, um, in a physical meeting. Sorry. Um, so I guess you do lose that kind of thing, which is potentially why it is so chaotic, as David was talking about in collaborative stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I I'm very much of the opinion that yeah, like like you were saying, Neil, like you're in your own safe space, you've you're in a environment you feel comfortable with, so it, you maybe would feel more uh, confident to speak up when you otherwise wouldn't. Mm-hmm. That's sad. funny as you as you were saying that, Adam. I was smiling and nodding and realizing that we're not using the video from this recording, which means that everything that I'm kind of <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of giving you nonverbal like affirmation to say yes, keep going. I totally agree with mm. what you're saying, but actually, it's only the four of us will ever know that I actually was doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, talking about the 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 comfort aspect of the safe space that leads on to the next. Uh, one of the next highlights from the report, which is about comfort and practicality. So that's uh, that's looking at making sure that people have the equipment and being able to do their job from home, essentially making sure that everyone's able to still still work in the same manner that they're accustomed to. Um, and, the, and I know that that's going to be very different for different people, depending on where they live, how much room they have in the house, what the internet connection's like. I mean, I imagine the people who have terrible internet connections wouldn't say that their communication and their ability to be social is on par with being in the room with somebody. And I think that's something we've had to deal with for a couple of people in acclimatizing to working from home. Do you all think that you've got the space and the the tools that you need to do your job effectively from home? I'm just reminded of on on the day that we kind of pulled you know pulled the lever and sent everybody home. Uh, I was in uh, in reception. I think I was watching some people take. Uh, there was like a it, it looked like the like the office was being ransacked. Everyone was kind of going out with them, or you know, like the final days of a of a mega corp. Everyone was going out with paper boxes. Um, as if they you know you know the whole whole office had just been sacked or something. But and. The, it was the fact that everyone was taking, or lots of people were taking chairs, and apparently I was talking to someone else that said that on on that day when everyone was being sent home and loads of companies were doing the same thing, that there were people on the tram with desk chairs, <laughs> like you know, kind of like people they didn't know from different companies across the city were all kind of everyone was taking a desk chair home on the tram that afternoon. Um, Just all sat um, at the aisle and sliding backwards and forwards. <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah well, I think. I, um, oh, sorry, Joe, carry on. I was going to say I've done the exact same thing. I'm sat in one of the desk chairs right here. I do sorry. actually have one of these big stupid gamer chairs that looks like something that's been ripped out of a Ferrari. But contrary to what you'd think, it doesn't feel like this gamer chair was meant to be sat in for hours and hours on end. Uh, whereas, um, yeah, I do seem to, I do find the the work chair more comfortable. Or maybe I've just got a pretty low end gaming chair, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So this this room that I'm sat in at the moment is 50% chairs at the moment. I can barely move. <laughs> um yeah, I was just going to say yeah, like uh, 
I guess we're kind of lucky in that we have spare rooms that we can work in. It looks like everyone's kind of sat in an office type space at least. Um, but, you know, I, I know some people, particularly people who live in London, who, you know, rent a room. Um, uh, so I know a few people who've moved from London back to their parents during this pandemic because they just couldn't work from home. Um, so I guess, you know, uh, you also hear stories of people working on kitchen tables and things like that, which is, I think we say in the report, is, is probably fine for a short-term solution if you're working one or two days from home. But if you're having to have a desk chair in your kitchen for a, all day, every day, and work around other people who are working from home, it might get a bit cramped. I, yeah. I thought that one of the, the most interesting parts of the report was actually, as I was reading reading it through, it's how much you identify with different aspects of it. It's almost like you're kind of mm. you're taking yourself through kind of, oh, I remember when and oh, yes, there was that. And, you know, when when and I think how we've also adapted our spaces over the course of the last, you know, it's not quite 18 months, but, you know, coming on for um, because I did the, you know, when we talk about first, second, third lockdown, I did that first lockdown. Um, I was in kind of a um, a, a room in our house that had no external windows uh mm. you know so i kind of and it was it was just the most sensible place for me to you know you know put up a put up a table and and, and make a little space for myself but there wasn't much room in there and i didn't have any direct natural light like you know i could kind of see light through other you know leave the door open and things like that it wasn't in complete darkness but it wasn't it wasn't great but it seemed like it was an okay idea at the time, but as the months went on, then we started to make changes. You know, the, the room that I'm in now was my daughter's bedroom and we've moved people around the house to try to make the best use of, of the space. But I think a lot of people have done that sort of thing. The, what they were, what they thought was okay in, in March last year is not how they've ended now. Mm. Yeah, I think um, what do you think about the whole thing of uh, mixing, mixing where you work with where you live? Because I know even pre pandemic, when you hear about people working from home, it was uh, yeah, there was a lot of talk about how, oh, I don't really want to I don't want to work or I don't want to associate my work with my place of rest, whereas that's kind of something that we've all had to had to deal with how do you compartmentalize work because i mean it's, yeah go ahead david if, if you've got your own office that you're working from then that's kind of the best you can get i think short of i guess having you know a, a man shed or whatever they're called out in the out in the back garden setting up your own workspace out there um yeah i mean both you and i i think joe have had uh rooms that we've dedicated to sort of gaming pcs and that's the kind of the place that we'll go to play computer games and we've been preparing then, our whole lives for this yeah <laughs> been a very natural go and shut yourself away to do work instead of go shut yourself away to go and play games um so yeah having a, a room that you can dedicate to this is where i work and then i'm gonna leave there and sleep elsewhere because i mean it, years and years ago when we were doing exams i remember getting 
advise that when when you're doing your revision don't do it in your bedroom go find another place to do it and then it kind of gets your mindset in such that you know when i'm in my bedroom it's relaxing time it's sleeping time it's resting time and when i'm in the other place that i'm doing revision in then this is this is the location i work in and therefore i can get in like a work mode and work mentality um how much that works for different people i don't know but i imagine it does kind of make it a little bit difficult to draw a line when you're not physically moving especially if you're all in you know one room and doing both sleeping eating working spending your whole day in a single room that must get pretty pretty monotonous and pretty depressing do you think that do you think this has changed your so you know kind of so i'm i don't you know play many games i don't have anything kind of set up for gaming whereas you did and that's something that you enjoy that's part of your downtime that's something you would kind of you know, that that was your relaxation and your entertainment in the evenings but now do you find yourself not wanting to do that like kind of saying has has lockdown and working from home ruined going into the same room that you were working in before to go in and do gaming in the evenings or not uh, i think gaming particularly is an escapism kind of hobby anyway so maybe not so much as if I don't know. It, maybe it would be different if you like, this is my sewing room and now it's also my workspace, but now I don't want to sew anymore. Yeah, I think for the last, I don't know, year or more, uh, 5.30 p.m. on a Tuesday, at least oh, eight yeah. people in the company have all turned their work machines off, turned their peak gaming PCs on, and we've all played Counter-Strike. And that's actually probably been the main social event of the last 12 months for a lot of people. Yeah, I um, I was saying before about how I kind of only really get to talk to a small core group of people nowadays in the in the business. The Tuesday night Counter Strike game is the exception to that. There are, you know, there's people that I have no real cause to talk to during the day that I feel like now I actually kind of know them quite well, um, purely through just online gaming. Well, I think for me as well, being the the marketing manager, I'm kind of separate from a lot of the the day-to-day stuff in Ask for Solutions. Um, But I feel like I've got to know the team really well through Counter-Strike. And we had a socially distanced barbecue at Neil's the other week. And it was kind of like I was having to like awkwardly introduce myself to people. Like, oh, yeah, I'm a Zeus scrapbook on on (laughs) (laughs) Counter-Strike. I'm the one who's been headshotting you all for the last uh, five months. Humble brag. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I suppose the other side of it is um, that because we don't have to or because we're not commuting to the office or going out to see clients as much i do feel like and maybe it's just now i'm a dad maybe i've just got to get the the dad bod maybe that's just natural progression but i do feel like i'm definitely getting unhealthier i'm doing more spending more time overall in a sedentary you know sat position um which is definitely definitely well not definitely for you. I'll hold off on judgment. Um, I'm, I'm definitely feeling that. I, uh, I've i started trying and sometimes occasionally succeeding to go for walks over lunch. And just I think I just didn't really think about it for a good, I don't know, 
many months at the start of lockdown. And then when I started going, hmm, maybe I should start moving more. Just the difference in what I was capable of doing compared to six months beforehand is just really, really quite upsetting how unfit I've got just from, you know, I wasn't doing a lot beforehand, but maybe, you know, walking up and down a hill on the way to see a client every, you know, two or three days a week. And now I do basically nothing unless I force myself. I, th- I think I've gone the complete o- opposite way. I think once I realised, because uh, I would walk into the office half an hour each way, once I realised that I wasn't doing that, I was, uh, you know, forcing myself out on runs. But th- but that I would I would have never gone for a run um, if I if I was at the office uh, because I wouldn't have had time. Like a half hour walk from work, then I have to eat uh, and you know. Un- relax a little bit after work we're talking eight o'clock before i can even think about going for a run so now i'm able to go for a run on my lunch get back shower and then be ready again for work in the afternoon so i feel like i've actually got fitter over lockdown all right well that's nice to hear and that's where you got the energy to produce this stunning report oh yeah that's it totally i remember at the start of lockdown uh you couldn't there's um for the nintendo switch you can get something called ring fit which is a it's a pilates ring and uh, it's kind of a gamified version it's got infrared built in and for months at the start of lockdown you couldn't get them anywhere because a lot of people were doing exercise in their homes or trying to keep fit or trying to replicate some kind of fitness from their homes I managed to get, eventually get hold of one from Amazon France, which was great. I think I used it for about a month and got bored. But even <laughs> so, um, yeah, that, there was a concerted effort. At, so initially, I don't know, it just feels like my time's... I don't, I don't have the time for that at the moment. But uh, yes, definitely. Just, Sorry, I've seen you've, you've just thrown a link in, Neil. I have. I just sent you guys a link to something. This is this was quite early on. So this was, um, uh, I guess, a, a, a report or just it's a it's a blog post from April 2020 from Garmin. So Garmin make they're probably the 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 most popular manufacturer of kind of active fitness devices, whether they be kind of you know um, computers for your bike or running or just kind of casual step counter type of Fitbit type of devices. But they um, they they released this uh, data showing, particularly across Europe, the way that people moved differently once we hit the lockdowns, and it shows different countries, which is also then relative to. So, for instance, some places like the UK saw a big spike and in increase in people running because all of a sudden people were actually encouraged to do this, you know, one hour of activity a day. So we actually saw. A lot of people started moving more and running more. Other places, you weren't allowed to do that. So kind of a thing, I mean, I've, I wasn't planning on referencing this. So it's been a year since I've read it. But um, it's, you know, you can see that in Spain. Yeah, I'm just looking at it here. In Spain, basically, once they hit lockdown, because they weren't, I don't think they were allowed out of the house. Boom, like everything dropped. Um, whereas in Germany, outdoor cycling really peaked. Um, you can see indoor cycling, so people buying, you know, different types of stationary bikes and things like that. Um, all of a sudden, stationary bikes and indoor cycling peaked in some other places. And it's just interesting. It's a really interesting report of just the way that data can tell the story. Of, it's yeah. interesting that swimming seems to have just dropped off for every country apart from Sweden. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, look at that. 
Yeah. Which is really well, did, strange. I don't think Sweden had lockdown, did they? Yeah. Or at least not at the first, not at the start. Mm. I mean, there is a definite, there is a drop, um, but it's not nearly as bad as the rest of the countries where it's just plummeted to zero. <laughs> There's a lot of golf in Sweden. Sweden is definitely the standout in these. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people golfing in Sweden. But their their cycling went down. But then for other places, you know, you hit lockdown and you look at cycling and France, huge increase. Oh, Spain, huge increase. And Italy, huge increase. It's interesting, actually, that they they factor golf in here, because I would not say that golf was an active lifestyle thing. That seems more recreational to me. And that massive increase in the amount of people playing golf to me says maybe people that were on furlough or that were otherwise just trying to find ways to fill the time, maybe went and played some golf. Or, or maybe it's Garmin trying to promote the fact that they sell uh, watches that, that track <laughs> golf and that this is actually just a, a marketing report that they're, they're trying to get, you know, oh, yeah. out of. Don't, don't be so cynical about marketing reports. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought it was. Uh, I'd love to see. I wonder if they've done anything else. Um, again, because I'd, I'd love to see this. this. This is only going from the 9th of March to the 14th of April, so it's a really narrow window. But I'd love to see it. Uh, I'd love to see the whole whole data set. Yeah, mm. some long-term trends would be really good there. Um, just before we move on from this section. Um, I'm just looking at some of the quotes because we surveyed some of our clients to get their opinions on some of this stuff. And we asked two of the questions we asked was, what's the biggest benefit of working from home for you? And what's the biggest benefit of working from the office? And it was overwhelming, overwhelmingly on the biggest benefit from working from office. Pretty much every single person said um, social interaction, being able to talk to people in person. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting. Well, uh, yeah, and I was speaking to someone else, as I think we'll we'll discuss later, the, the other side of this is what's the thing that you, you miss or that you don't miss most, and that was commuting. But uh, if you try and hold them up as, you know, are, are they equal? You've got a good point and a, and a bad point. I think, to be honest, the social interaction component of it, I feel like, is a much... Uh, I think it, what I'm trying to say, I suppose, is if you put those on the scale, not having to commute anymore and less face to face, I feel like it would be the, the commuting would sway it for a lot more people. I mm. do think that I think that the fact that people are saying it's, it's the face to face stuff that you miss most probably yeah. speaks to a lot of people who are generally enjoying working from home. Um, I wonder do you think it exacerbates it at all as well the uh the lack of social interaction because it's timed with lockdowns and yeah, you know we've right. had so many so many periods where you've not been able to see your non-work friends like if this was you know if we were all back to normal and you know not locked down able to go into each other's houses all of this kind of stuff and just do your, your regular socializing outside of work would people mind as much that they're not seeing work people? And I, I mean, personally, I think I I would still it still means something to me because there's definitely a benefit to being able to 
catch somebody you know in the kitchen have a, a catch-up conversation with them or just you know do a quick shout out to the office and say hey i've got this problem has anyone come across this before or whatever but um in terms of just your your need to socialize i wonder if a lot of that is because that's just generally an all-time low at the moment anyway mm. yeah you're saying that maybe this data isn't perhaps you know the fact that there's a pandemic going on kind of muddies the water a bit in that regard and in terms of the social interaction i wonder if you are noticing the lack of social interaction more because you've kind of had to yeah. cut that out across your whole life yeah mm -hmm. so one one anecdote that i wanted to kind of fit into this conversation was one where i was talking to i was talking to a friend and he's a kind of like a, a junior partner at a medium-sized law firm and he was saying that the broadly speaking that through lockdown the, the partners have found it to be you know a really really positive experience they they can focus they're increasing their billable hours they're not having to commute they can work more flexibly all of these kind of positive sides of things um however that for the training solicitors who are there on you know who are just kind of recently qualified and they're they're learning the profession that they're missing out massively on the what he described as the scenario whereby he would you know has a quick question and he needs to go to his boss and uh, he needs to speak to her and, you know how do i deal with this and he can still do that on teams he can ask her but what he's missing out on is that when he was in a training solicitor he would go in to ask her a question sit down in her office and then she'd take a call from a client and maybe the client was was unhappy or the client was concerned and she wouldn't tell him to leave the room because he's a training solicitor and this is a key part of of the job you know he would sit there and he would hear her side of the conversation of you know putting the customer tees and you know kind of explaining no 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 it's absolutely fine we're going to sort this out and, and he was it was those types of things he didn't go in to hear that that half of the conversation but and you could never create a scenario where you could, you know, manufacture those types of interactions and that those are the types of things that the trainees are missing out on. Sure, they, you know, they can have policies. You can you can always teams call a partner and they'll try to answer the question, you know, answer the teams call if they possibly can and you can run things by them. But it's all so forced. You don't have the 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 little coincidences and the little things you don't realize that you're missing and that that's that that's where we're going to be missing out going forward particularly people who've been in a training role whether it be a teacher or a sister or anything over this time yeah i suppose the nearest you get to that secondhand conversation in a way would be the communal slack channels or team channels you know chats that form that way really but yeah i see what you mean about how it's very binary you're either in a conversation or you're not um, we had a quote didn't we um in the report about somebody saying that a lot of the kind of people who've been working for the company for a long time are finding it much easier than the the newer, younger, less experienced employees. And I think that is, I think the mm. quote I think was more around the idea of, again, it's sort of like um, feeling how connected I think you are with the company. Where so I guess if you've been there for a while, you have an idea, you know the the corporate culture, you know the office culture you know your place in it you know the people who work there um if you're new it's probably quite hard to pick up on 
you know, what exactly is this company like? How do we address things? Um, yeah, if you're not seeing other people solving problems and hearing other people talking to clients and so on, then it, it probably is quite difficult to pick up on. This is how we deal with things. This is the language we use. This is, you know, that kind of our attitude, I guess, as a company. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of a lot of the research that we looked at as well said that you know backs that up that junior members of staff um, are the ones that struggle the most with this because well because of the reasons you've said and because um, because they're less able to learn from senior colleagues as efficiently or you know pick up on on the sort of little the nuances of the company you know it's all very form formal and laid out mm. it's funny because when i what i said before about how there are some people who i don't think have seen the office or have seen a lot less of the office i think even something just like seeing the workspace seeing where you would work can have a bit of a can inform your impressions of a company or kind of how it's structured yeah i mean pre pre pre-pandemic would you would you have uh accepted a job offer from a company that you'd never visited in person probably not Mm. um but but a lot of people have had to do that over the last year yeah that's that's true i mean we've hired people more across the group than, than specifically in solutions into into senior roles that live you know, further from Sheffield than we would have ever really thought was was possible, and it's gone in, <laughs> incredibly well. Um, mm. And it starts to make you wonder just kind of how far you know advertising for any position do they really need to leave, live in Sheffield? You know, do they really need? I and mean, we've had colleagues even on the solutions team that have maybe not moved out of Sheffield, but have moved um, you know further from Sheffield to you know, get a, a, you know, bigger houses for further from the city and more rural locations. There's all sorts of talk of the house prices in the north are going up because people are leaving London because they realise that they don't need to live in London to be able to work for, you know, Goldman Sachs or any other big bank or corporate. So, Which is yeah. uh, crazy, isn't it? Because the the whole thing about living or working in London was that wages would be tied to the higher cost of living from living in London. So you are now in a position where there are people who are, you know, working remotely in satellite offices or from home, but employed by London companies. And does that mean that you're seeing wages go up for, or you know, uh, these weird, strange situations where people are on much higher wages? because their employer is London-based, but then they're in, you know, somewhere far up north. I suppose these are the things that will only really become, will come more to light the more these have people working from home. Yeah, and and connectivity, like we already touched on that, but, you know, houses need to have good connectivity and proper Wi-Fi and all these types of systems are being really really pushed over the last 18 months though have broadly held up well yeah yeah netflix downgraded their um their (laughs) default screens and things to 720 just to try to alleviate wider congestion issues Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no word of if they ever put that back up. I hope they did. You could override it. Apparently, it was only if you're just on default settings, which the vast majority of people would have been on and didn't notice. But you were, you could always just simply if you if you went in and manually said you wanted it, it whatever. Oh right, okay then. Oh, that's good. Well, yeah, I mean, talking about connectivity, um, we just got fiber to the premises here in this area a, a couple of weeks ago. So it's definitely big strides being made. I mean, we're not hurting for, ne- for connectivity anywhere. We've got a virgin connection to the house. So we're fine, apart from, you know, the occasional drops we get, but we'll let that slide. But yeah, there will be people working in more rural areas where they won't have had anything. And even just the thought of a team's call will be enough to, you know, cause their router to fry or something. But yeah, it'll, it'll get better. I mean, that's kind of so the next the next topic, the next takeaway was access to data and information. And I'll kind of roll that roll that into security as well. So we being an IT company, we've generally been quite forward facing in this regard we were using things like sharepoint and onedrive long before uh, the pandemic hit but do you think there's been been a real shift there in how companies access their data i mean speaking from experience i know we've had at least a few companies who've kind of felt the felt the limitations let's call it of say their office connectivity when you have people rather than everybody inside the office trying to access data out of the office having the inverse of everyone working from home trying to pull data from the office and then you'll hit those typical limitations of 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 your standard internet connection where you by default you're going to get a lot faster download than upload because you need to retrieve information faster than you need to send it but when you're working from outside the office that becomes a bit of a bottleneck so as i say when with us working from sharepoint and uh, and more cloud-based tools that becomes less of a concern but i imagine for some people there's been some some growing pains there or some some adapting this is probably i mean neil you might be able to speak speak to this i imagine you've probably spoken to companies who have been looking to navigate the murky waters of of lockdown and working from home have you had a lot of interest about uh how to decentralize file storage and things like that yeah or just even those that those that were able to to kind of need to urgently increase their the bandwidth to their office so if people were were still hosting things internally in March, we had, I don't know, half a dozen clients that might have been on a, they had, a, you know, a, a 100 meg connection to the office or a 100 meg connection into the data center. And they, they asked us, you know, how much can we increase that by? How quickly can we do it and by how much? And if they were already running 100 meg on a 100 meg pipe, then there was nothing that we could do. But there were a handful of people that we were able to, instantly upgrade them from a 100 meg or 200 meg up to one gig. We did quite a, quite a lot of that in March where people just desperately, because exactly as you said, Joe, everything flipped around. It used to be that they had a large number of people sat in one location and they were all consuming data down. And then all of a sudden you had 
a large number of people outside the office that were trying to access data inside the office since they all needed everything to, to flip in the other direction. So, um, yeah, no, so it was, we, we did what we could, but oftentimes, you know, those types of upgrades can take months and involve digging up streets and that just wasn't, wasn't an option, but yeah, wherever possible, if they can decentralize to a, to a kind of a, a common neutral location, whether it be data, uh, you know, data center or into the cloud, then that's going to give the best possible chance because everyone's using their own connection. I'm kind of waving my hands about like I want a whiteboard, but you know, everyone, everyone is, is equal and is maximizing the connection to their house up to the internet. And then you've got a lot more chance of getting what you need if it's in SharePoint or other, other cloud storage services are available. Yeah. And that's just for clients who previously had some kind of remote way of working. You'll also have some clients where they were completely office based and they hadn't really given a thought to how they'd operate outside of an office. So then you have to look at VPN solutions and uh, remote desktop solutions and, and all that as well. Um, yeah, we um, asked for solutions. We had our busiest ever two week period. I think it was when when the first lockdown kicked in, because, yeah, suddenly everybody who's got a remote uh, working solution and hasn't really used it much. Now they need to use it and they need to be reminded how it works and they need to make sure everybody's set up with it. And everybody who hasn't got a remote working solution needs one designing and building from scratch. <laughs> today. Yes, today, probably yesterday. Some people have already gone home. Can we get it set up for them? It probably helps with IT literacy to an extent as well when people have to engage with terms like VPNs and figure out how to get stuff working on their own home network, whereas previously maybe they could just ask the IT to get it set up or it was somebody else's problem, uh, especially with people if they'd have to use their own kits. You know, in an ideal world, everybody would be using kind of business grade uh, hardware, and but uh, that, that wasn't always wasn't always feasible especially and i don't know if it's still the case but hardware just became really hard to get hold of at a certain point mm. there was a there's a funny instance of that my my girlfriend had to move from uh, office to work from home and uh she couldn't get a vga to hdmi adapter cable anywhere like they were all sold out on Amazon. She was walking around shops trying to get one. Like no one, no one had them because literally everyone needed to get some sort of connector to the from their laptop to the monitor. Right. Yeah. I mean that there was uh, webcams was the big one. Mm. I think they're they're kind yeah. of generally back in stock now. But but of course the whole thing that exacerbated this as well uh, on top of COVID was the the, the microprocessor. Uh, shortage which was as a result of social distancing in 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 factories and things like that just demand far outstripping supply and i think the ramifications of that are still being felt far and wide yeah they keep saying kind of when that's going to catch up and it's still you know kind of oh it'll all be fine by june oh it'll all be fine by august it should be fine by next year um but that's that's affecting you know, IT, but everywhere that everywhere else that that touches, you know, the the motor industry is kind of famously been hit by that, with manufacturers going down to you know four day weeks and fewer shifts and everything. So 
Okay. Second-hand cars are going up in value in in some areas at the moment because they just can't make enough new cars to keep up with the old cars that are kind of coming off the road. It's definitely a seller's market. If you have an old phone or anything, I think the Apple buyback for their old hardware, the prices went up quite a substantial amount. Uh, if you've got an old graphics card, you could probably get quite a lot of money for that at the moment. Mm. Yeah, I think the problem is as well that especially for factories that create things like yeah, processors, superconductors, what have you, it's not just a matter of saying, okay, well, we'll, we'll buy some more up. These things take decades or a decade to really get off the ground. So, yeah, yeah not, not the sort of thing they can just kind of go, yeah, let's do that. The, you, you were kind of touching on people just mentioning about um, using technology in general. And I was on a, I was on a call a few months ago talking about digital inclusion and that whilst there are plenty of underlying issues with regards to access to kit and access to connectivity, but that overall the, the average IT literacy rate has been, you know, pulled up, you know, kind of, you've got, people who might have been a generation above that would have ever found it easy to go onto a Zoom call and do video conferencing. And they're now, you know, quite comfortable with that sort of thing, opening up job prospects to people that would have never, you know, had that, would have never considered that as, a, as an option. So it's um, it's been out of necessity, but that we hopefully will have a more IT literate society going forward, which um, is just kind of a an opportunity boost for people that didn't have it before. Yeah, and you would hope that IT literacy will also help with IT security, which is another big thing that's going to uh, be a result of all of this, all of this data being freely accessible over a public internet. Um, so we've talked, we talked about VPNs as a solution, but uh, other things like multi-factor authentication. You know, having to having to provide a code from your mobile device to get to data, that's that's um, that. These are all things you really have to implement if you want to securely have data in the cloud. But I have to imagine that some some bad actors somewhere have taken the opportunity. It must be must be open season for quite a few companies who are, you know, are in the in the ransomware business. Well, there's a stat in the report, isn't there, about um, HMRC detecting a 73% rise in email phishing in the first six months of the pandemic. You know, every, everybody's gone home. Uh, so suddenly all of these, you know, scams where it's, you know, hey, it's me, your boss. Please, can you buy 50 quid of iTunes vouchers and send them to this address? I need you to do this ASAP. Don't call me. I'm in a meeting. Suddenly, all of those are, you know, much more feasible because you can't look at your boss who's sat opposite you. Yeah, um, that's true. And then, yeah, all of these kind of new changes and new policies and everything that's everything's all in a whirlwind and changing. So if you get some scammer taking opportunities with that and saying, oh, new new changes, I need your username and password now for COVID security. I need to check you've got access to this thing. Yeah, it's yeah. There, there definitely were an increase in uh, bad actors. Yeah, I think just by having the word COVID in there as well, probably because you know a lot of people 
that's uh, that would kind of be a, a bit of a trigger word. And if that's in an email, then maybe they'd respond to that email or they'd take it more more seriously or they'd consider it more than perhaps they would in any other given time. So perhaps yeah. people are more vulnerable to that kind of thing. People being forced into, not forced into, but uh, the only opportunity they, that they had was to, you know, to access banking and things. You know, it's, it's like I was saying with digital literacy is that people had to force themselves into these types of places. And two-factor authentication is really the only, well, it's certainly the best tool that the IT industry has by requiring you to get a, a code to your phone or or phone call or some other device. It just just drastically reduces the likelihood that someone's going to access your data. I had just today I had um, from a, a, another banking app that I've got and I had a request through the kind of it was my you know, it's from them and they sent me here is your five digit pin. And that tells me that someone was trying to get in to that account, which is, you know, both terrifying, but also comforting because I know that it is highly unlikely that anyone will have actually got into my phone at the same time because I'm holding it. But um, without that, who knows what might have happened? Yeah, mm. it, it is. It's something like a 98% reduction in the amount of compromised accounts when you've got MFA on, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's far and away yeah, the best thing you can do to really secure yourself. So I think that's why phishing uh, becomes kind of the next best thing in a way. Or next worst thing, rather. But uh, Yeah, and I, I wonder as well, just going back to the whole thing about hardware being unavailable and people falling back on what they've got. And maybe, you know, someone goes and pulls that old laptop out the cupboard, blows the dust off it, and it's still got Windows XP or Windows 7 on it. I wonder how often that's that's been the gateway towards some kind of compromise. Yeah, people making people making exceptions for devices that really should not be used anymore that cannot be properly secured. But when mm. you know when that's all you've got and you have to make that call, exceptions being made that people might have regretted later. Yeah, and I suppose you can't really you can't really blame people for that knee-jerk reaction if you've suddenly got a massive amount of your workforce who are just working elsewhere. Uh, you, you do whatever you can to enable it and just kind of have to figure the rest out as you go along. Yeah. It's been a learning curve. Definitely. So, on to the penultimate takeaway, which is productivity suppose this kind of goes a bit hand in hand with communication uh, in a way is that is there is there any any aspect of your job or any anything that you feel that you feel that you're not able to do as well working from home have there been any any knocks to productivity is it just having a house full of people is it just not being able to get to you know not not being on site and able to see not been able to see issues firsthand, etc. Uh, definitely the uh, the site visit stuff. Um, it feels like there's a there's a sort of category of ticket that um, we'd have support ticket that come in where you'd go, oh, this is going to take me three hours to figure this out remotely. But if we just if we could just send somebody out to look at that but 
we can't because you know we're in the middle of a lockdown or because that person is now working from their home which is miles away or you know this kind of there's or just the kind of you know we we would have regular site visits that we would do you know we'd go and have somebody on site every week and this is something they could look at in person but now we're going to have to you know either make a specific visit out there or we're going to have to get this posted to us to have a look at it because we can't physically get into it or or physically getting into it's the only way to solve it yeah that's the other thing isn't it the amount the uptick in the amount of post being shuffled around packages being sent hardware that needs to be fixed or has been fixed heading all over the place yeah, the, even yeah, the team in the office kind of shipping laptops in and out and setting things up for people and, you know, couriers arriving at the office and collecting sometimes what seemed like, looked like dozens of laptops kind of in 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 Dave's area ready to ready to go as he was kind of getting all of that, kind of equipping the world for uh, remote working. But yeah, I don't think the couriers did badly out of this, did they? The laptop, <laughs> laptop manufacturers, things like that did well. And the couriers who were delivering all of our Amazon parcels and everything else. Yeah. And I think mobile device management, as well as kind of cloud based working, is is definitely something that's going to come out well here. I mean, I could could talk about Intune, Microsoft Intune all day long, that kind of thing. But the ability to send hardware directly out to someone you know just fresh from the fresh from the factory send them a laptop they open it up windows is installed and asks for that for their email address they put that in and then it goes back and talks to microsoft pulls down all the data they need sets up their emails gives them access to their files shortcuts whatever and it, and off you go and if there's a problem with it, don't send it to us. We'll just just factory reset it and log in again, and and everything will be set up fresh. The ability to do that as well is fantastic, and uh, makes it a lot easier when you don't have that kind of on-site uh, support, and saves you, uh, like David says, saves you having to troubleshoot a, uh, an issue that might take three hours. I think um, my with my job, I would probably say I've been more productive, even though it's really difficult to measure measure that. Um, but I know from you know I I spend all of my day writing things, so be, being in a room on my own is is perfect for that kind of thing. Um, not you know not not as many interruptions and not as much background noise. Um, but yeah, I can see for particularly site visits, that is obviously very unproductive. Yes, very hard for us. And I think you have to look to to, to other people to say what they have to say about it, really. Mm. And you do have a few quotes there, don't you? Yeah. So. I mean, what I mentioned, you know, lots of things going on in the house, such as deliveries and my cat's. I can fully empathize with that. More than once, Quaffle has come screaming into the room when I've been on a Teams call. <laughs> it's become a bit of a bit of a joke for one of our clients who's like, it's time for that game again. Guess whether it's Joe's cat or Joe's baby that I can hear on the call. <laughs> I think it's interesting that when when asked about how productive people feel, a lot of them talk about distractions, whether that's in office or at home as opposed to not being able to carry out their job 
as effectively. You know, I think that's kind of the interesting thing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Some, yeah. And some people, especially when schools were closed and, and you had uh, children at home as well, that's, that's obviously going to be a massive hit to your productivity. But again, as David mentioned earlier, that's more of a pandemic specific mm. productivity related issue rather than a general working from home thing. Yeah. And you can always lock the cats outside. <laughs> Although, to be honest, mine's louder when you lock it outside, <laughs> somehow. Um, I mean, Neil, as a business leader yourself, what would uh, would you say that productivity is going to be the main concern for for um, for management when it comes to allowing people to work from home? Because if we look at one of these surveys here, uh, in 2022, how often would you like to have paid work days at home? Uh, it's, you know... Like I think it's something like around 70% of people at least want one day a week working from home. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, I think it's, there, there are other stats in there about just how, how opinions have changed. And I think that for, for most business owners, most business leaders, that the, the assumption was that the productivity impact would have been far, far greater and in some and far greater than it actually worked out to be if there actually even was any. And I think it depends on depends on the person. And I think mm-hmm. that in the same way as you look at things like requests for flexible working and and it depends on the person, it depends on on the role that they're in. Obviously some people work you know, if you're if you're a field engineer and you work installing physical equipment into people's offices, then working from home isn't is isn't really that's not appropriate given the role. But I think going forward, yeah, it's going to be a massive part of things. There's not going to be um, any reason to say that when when appropriate, that you can't mix some of that in to find the right mix for some people. But it's not always going to be about the one person that wants to work from home because you still need that mix in the office for the benefit of the other people who need that kind of opportunity to bounce off of other people. Yeah. So, um, so I think that going forward which is you know our, our current position and will will probably remain that we'll will tweak will be yeah some working at home is going to be the right way forward and while some people might really want to work all from home <laughs> that the reason why that might not always be the case is for the reasons that other people really need that that interaction to bounce ideas off of people in the office and learn from them so um yeah, yeah i so. think i think that's um that's quite interesting in in not just thinking in terms of how it benefits them personally, but how it benefits the people that they work with to have them in a face-to-face environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's, you, you know, that's... You, you think about the people on first line. They, the, you know, if you're if you're working in a first line role, you really benefit from having experienced second liners around you just to listen in on their conversations, just to listen in on, like the the legal example before that. You know, listening to an experienced second line engineer talk to a client that is, you know, really struggling with something and it's got a serious issue that's affecting their business and hearing how to put them at ease and how to explain the issue to them and how to manage their expectations. Those are the types of things that people that are new to the business, new to the industry need to hear. And the only way that they're going to hear that is if you put them in a room with somebody else who's done it before. Yeah. I mean, even even working on second line, I, uh, I miss just having an idea of what's going on in the business generally, like because before when we were all kind of working in, you know, we 
spread across two floors, but you'd still get a feeling of, oh, this team's really busy. I might, I'm, I'm doing all right actually. I might need to step in here and see if I can take some load off them. Or, you know, you'll overhear a call that somebody's having, and you go, oh, I faced that issue six months ago. I let me dig up some ticket notes. I reckon I can help on that. And that's, you know, that's not people who are coming to you and saying, I've got this problem. How do I fix it? That's just the benefit of being there and being in the same room and overhearing what's going on. Or, it's these or kind that of casual feeling. things. Yeah. Or, or that feeling when like a national telco has a major outage and all of a sudden the phone starts ringing a little bit more and then a little bit more and then everyone's on the phone and then you start seeing the, the wall boards with, you know, client systems kind of going red because, you know, some, tel- some you know, whether, you know, fill in your national telco provider here is having a national outage issue or office 365 or something something major that touches across so many different clients goes <laughs> goes down and then all of a sudden it's just that there's an element of buzz and excitement and also dread and terror that kind of chills across the rooms and uh, but everyone you know mucks in and people start texting loved ones and saying i'm going to be home late tonight <laughs> <laughs> we got one of those the other week didn't we although it was a bit of a uh, abrupt one the um the cdn that went down oh lost, yeah lost a lot of websites but yeah you just replace the uh, the kind of camaraderie dread and terror with gifs in the slack chat yeah but there's something about just being in the room you know you can you can put up a is this go you know or is anyone else having this issue and we see all those but i don't know there's still something about being in the room when something like that happens yeah, you, you definitely cotton on to there is a problem here. Rather, if yeah. you're just sat on a phone call to an angry client demanding why has my internet gone down, I mean it might take you a little while to figure out why their internet's gone down. But if you're in a room full of people having exactly the same conversation with several other clients, then right, you start to realise hmm, maybe there's a central thing somewhere. Yeah. Great. So let's move on to the last section then, which is attitudes and opinions, which I think we've kind of kind of touched on a bit. But um, so taking it from the report, um, Adams asked, asked the clients, what's the biggest benefit of working from home? And I think much as you said that the the main the main negative of working from home was the lack of social interaction. It seems like unanimously the biggest benefit was not having to commute. Yeah, this is top of my list, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll never, yeah, I'll never too. miss the uh, the eight a.m. walks to the office in winter. I'll never ever miss that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like I mean, the. I, just, I, I like the ability to be able to, you know, kind of I, I enjoy going for a run in the morning when I can. And I do it a few times a week. But to be able to kind of get up, go out for a run, get back for, you know, 730, have breakfast with the family until they all head off for school around eight. And I can walk upstairs, have a shower, get dressed and be kind of walking out of the shower, you know. 8:26 and still be sat at my desk ready to uh, ready to jump on a call at 8:30 and just thinking there's just no way that I'd be able to fit all this in if I was yes well I wouldn't be able to fit it in would I that 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 would not be possible family breakfast wouldn't happen all these types of things wouldn't happen if uh, if I was working 100% in the office 
I'm, I'm impressed you're fitting so much in into your mornings because I've had the exact opposite where I've gone from, <laughs> Same. you know, now I'm, I'm waking up, you know, three quarters of an hour later than I would have done previously. And I'm still somehow like still combing my hair as I sit down at the laptop, that kind of <laughs> like I, the speed at which I got used to the fact that suddenly, you know, that hour that I would have spent or half an hour, I guess I would have spent commuting that I now don't have to deal with in the morning, just evaporated. And just it's, you know, I'm, I'm getting up an hour before I need to work. And yet still somehow that's barely enough time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I you, think you feel better for it, though. Do you feel more rested going into the day? Uh, possibly. I think, well, I don't know. I think my tendency is to be go oh i don't have to get up as early therefore i can go to bed way later (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i'm just looking through the report here at some of the surveys and um there's a question how how have your perceptions about working from home changed over the last year and uh less than 10 percent less than 10 percent of people said that their perception of working from home got worse whereas you know this massive percent saying that it's uh, it's improved, which I think is probably a testament to how it's gone over the last year. Yeah, and as I said before, I think I'm a bit of a edge case because I had had a, a, an infant daughter around the house, so it was just great from a parent parenting perspective. I think probably there's there's lots of examples of that though, isn't there? Not not necessarily have people having kids, but just changes in their in their personal lives of you know having the flexibility to to work from home it makes it easier to deal with a lot of different uh, circumstances i think the other thing as well is so there's three things about the commute so one of them that we've already covered is the time back second one is you don't have thousands of cars sat there smogging up the air so there's a nice environmental uh, benefit of not having everyone commuting in all the time but then the third one is just the money you save on commuting as well because um, it's kind of it's a little bit death by a thousand cuts but if you're driving half an hour in and half an hour out every day there was i was telling you about this this yahoo finance article that asked the big question should employers pay for your commute you know if you've proven if we've proven that you can work effectively from home is there a scope to either pay commuting costs or to factor that as an extra hour into the day. But it says that, uh, where was it? Average of uh, home workers save an average of 126 quid a month on commuting, which is a fair bit. And I think, you know, with with lockdown and uh, venues and shops and everything being closed, I think everybody's felt the benefit of that. Well, a lot of people have felt the benefit of that. So, again, it might be one of those of the pandemic uh, muddying the waters a bit. But still, yeah, it's an interesting thought. Mm. Yeah, all the uh, all the videos of um, oh, no, all the videos, photographs and um, hashtag nature is healing, you know, kind of, you know, dolphins <laughs> and the canals in Venice and all these different types of things. Uh, and then a, a friend of mine tweeted the uh, he's a, a film critic and he, he tweeted um you know, Fast and Furious brings in, you know, $22 million opening weekend in China or something. 
and he tweeted his review of uh, Fast and the Furious 12 or whatever, and then put hashtag nature is healing. You know, we're back to $22 million uh, opening weekends for ridiculous blockbusters. <laughs> yeah, that'll be good. Because I feel like a lot of a lot of movie companies were hedging their bets and only releasing the films that they didn't feel would have a great return over the last year and a half. There hasn't been much that particularly to write home about that. No. Yeah, we'll see how all that kind of there's going to be a huge. Well, some some of them some of them have given up, and others are. Uh, yeah, still 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 waiting for cinemas to be back at 100. percent We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I wonder about the whole thing about, uh, you know, people who've 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 adopted pets and things over the past, because that, that's something you seem to hear about a lot now that people are going back to work is the effects on the pets that have seen their owners every day for the past 18 months. And uh, there, was a car- there was a cartoon about that between cats and dogs, wasn't there? Kind of a, like cats that were conspiring to try to get people to get back to the office, and they were sick and tired of their of their humans crowding their uh, crowding their space during the day, and dogs inversely kind of desperately trying to keep them to stay working at home. So we need to we need to think about the pets and all of that. Yeah, well, Quaffles loved it because we don't have a cat flap, so we're kind of the gatekeepers in and out of the house. So being able to meow at us, you know. All day, every day. It's it's brilliant for her. But yeah, other pets may vary. <laughs> yeah, I don't Great. I don't think Sherlock the cockapoo is going to handle uh, me kind of going back to the office. Certainly full time. Uh, yeah. He's just kind of he's he's used to now having somebody around all day, twenty four hours a day, without <laughs> exception. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, so yeah, I mean, I think we've 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 said most of it there. I think, in conclusion, homeworking is not going anywhere. Um, it's probably still still work to be done on figuring out the longer term benefits uh, or, or issues that may may arise as a result. But uh, it's it's proved it's it's proved its worth. Adam, as the um, as the writer of this report, do you have Anything in particular that you'd like to add? Um, not particularly. I think the the thing, as I was looking into it, the thing that was that stood out to me is how, um, you know, there's no no real severely negative opinions towards homeworking, and this was kind of forced on everybody with a few days notice. Um, so I think if you know, over the last year, obviously businesses have had the opportunity to tweak how they've they've been managing it um but it, you know with real preparation i think that and you know like as we were saying a sort of mix between home and office working uh you know it's kind of it's kind of silly not to embrace it mm. um but yeah I'll, I'll put a link to the um to the report in the episode description as well so if you want to have a read of that it's just uh you can download it directly all right brilliant that's great all right. Well, thank you very much for that. And uh, thank you, everyone else, for joining us on this on this call. Um, I think that's everything, unless anyone's got anything else to add. It's, has it really been that long that you forgot to do the outro, Joe? I can't even remember the email address. <laughs> what is I it? Probably, Podcast it might have app? changed now. It might have <laughs> changed now. 
Like uh, well, this is a special. We'll we'll let you off. But uh, yeah, I think we'll probably now we've uh, proved the uh, proof of concept by doing it over Teams. We'll probably get some more episodes out. That's assuming this goes out. We might listen back to this and go, "Wow, this Teams recording is naff." Or it might not have worked at all. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we'll find out. If you're listening to this, it's going to be all right. Right, okay, Slash, thank you. Very... We apologise for the quality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we've been apologising for the quality of this podcast ever since episode one, so nothing new there. That was the last time, I think that was the last time I was on, was episode one. <laughs> Can't be. Can it? Yeah. There must have been another. There must have been another. I don't think so. Double check, but I think I've only done the first episode and this special edition. Wow. Well, maybe. And that was uh, that was driver driverless cars, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. And we finally got them. <laughs> finally got the driverless cars. Uh, well, there was didn't they recently? So there recently something about Tesla is now liable, or they 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 have to report all autopilot failures to the. I don't know. Maybe that that's something well, so, for next time. Maybe we'll we'll do a follow up yeah. on that. Is it, I was going to say. We could go into that now, but we're launching into a whole other topic. Yeah, I was saying, I feel like I'm cheating you a bit, Neil, having you on the podcast and not bringing up some kind of Elon Musk-related antic, but there'll be plenty of time. I very, very nearly went into uh, Starlink when we were talking about connectivity, but again, I'm not going to go off on that tangent. (laughs) Yeah, fair dues, yeah. Okay, right, great. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening, and uh, I'm sure we'll have another episode for you soon. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.